I think culturally, we have ingrained a, a way of thinking that waste is just an inevitability of the process of consumption. We've just gotten complacent with it. And we see waste as something that it's like a fixed cost in business. We just, it's, it's okay and there's nothing we can do about it. And so I think we need to disrupt that complacency. There is no reason why a business should tolerate waste of any kind, whether that's waste of electricity or waste of water or waste of food. Like we have to put these things in the same impact categories together. And you've started to see that more and more with electricity usage and energy usage and food waste should be in that same category. Like as a business, whether you're a restaurant, a retailer, your goal should be trying to reduce how much food waste you generate. And oh, by the way, that's going to reduce your uh, waste disposal bill. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady. Hello, listeners. Do you have your Environmental Transformation Podcast sticker yet? Well, I'm giving away free ET podcast stickers to those who contact me via my website at www.seankgrady.com. So send me a message to receive this cool-looking sticker to proudly show your support of the podcast. Then post up a picture on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook and tag me to help promote the show. It will be fun to see where everyone puts their stickers, and I've put mine on my water bottle and my laptop. So what are you waiting for? Get your sticker today. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady, and our mission is to bring you interviews with leaders in the environmental industry with the goal of providing you information about industry trends, climate change, future energy, circular economy, regulatory topics, and service providers transforming the industry. And today's guest is Pete Pearson. He's the Senior Director of Food Loss and Waste at the World Wildlife Fund uh, and the WWF. So, Pete, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you uh, decided to come on the show. Uh, lots to cover on food waste and all those great topics. I mean, there's so much to cover. So before we jump in, can you tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, you know, how you ended up at the WWF? Yeah, uh, happy to. Again, thanks for having me on. Uh, so I've been at World Wildlife Fund for about six years. Okay. And prior to that, I, I worked for a large grocery chain. Uh, did some sustainability consulting. And so I'd say over the last 10 or 12 years, I've been really involved in this whole idea of like sustainable business, regenerative agriculture, uh, even more so like what what is a future food system look like mm -hmm. on a planet of nine to 10 billion people? And uh, I mean, trying to solve the quandary of of a sustainable food system basically is what I've been focused on. Mm-hmm. So you've been working uh, at a, a major grocery store chain, uh, and I guess you saw up close and personal all the the food 
produce that comes in or the the shelf products that maybe expire and things like that and probably dealing with those types of challenges. Oh yeah, for sure. I, when when I first started uh, working in sustainability, I was actually tasked with helping the the grocery chain at the time develop a zero waste program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can imagine you got 2000 grocery stores all wow. across the country. Right. Uh, and you know, that's, that's 2000 produce departments basically that are calling out food every single day, making sure everything looks perfect. Um, a whole center store that, that has to look perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, every department, the bakery, the meat department, the seafood department, right? There's loss and waste in every single one of those areas. And when you add all that up, just for one grocery chain, that's a lot. And then imagine it across the entire country for all of grocery. And it just gets to be. It's, it's like mind boggling, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like, it how do we solve this problem? It's too big. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially, and you, you have things like COVID that happen. Oh, and right. you realize the magnitude of things like food insecurity and the fact that a lot of people don't have the money or the availability of healthy food every single day. And, you know, you have lines out the door in uh, food dom- donation lines and food banks. And, you know, it, it, you start to ask some really important questions like, what does it take to actually get food to everybody who needs it? Mm-hmm. Food, food's a basic human necessity. None of us can sure. live without it, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we got a lot. But it comes at, an, at a huge sacrifice both to uh, the planet um, and the the choices we make in terms of the diets too. That, that it's it's all a really big deal how we manage food looking forward. Well, yeah, there's a lot to unravel there. That's like a big onion right there in itself. So <laughs> before we get too Absolutely, deep, here, yeah. before we get too deep, tell us about your mission at the World Wildlife Foundation and what types of projects are you working on? Yeah, well, I mean, at WWF, the the mission is pretty simple. It's a future where people and wildlife and biodiversity flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, we recognize that you you have to balance the needs of people and biodiversity together. Mm-hmm. But today we live on a planet where biodiversity is rapidly declining, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so we need to reverse that trend. And we need, so our mission is to try to reverse that trend of biodiversity loss globally and to start to get to a more balanced way of living together between people and nature. Wow. Okay. So then how does the, you know, kind of like your focus on some of the projects, tell me some of the projects you're kind of focused on. I mean, within that mission. Yeah, absolutely. At World Wildlife Fund, there's a now scientific recognition that upwards of 60 to 70% of the biodiversity loss on the planet is associated to food and agriculture. Okay. And and it and it starts to make sense when you think about it. It's what do you need to grow food to have agriculture? You need land, you need space. And so the more that we take away from nature to grow things like the basics, corn, wheat, soybeans, um, grazing cattle, uh, fruits and vegetables, like that takes a sacrifice of that land, the water. And everything that that is required to grow that agriculture, to grow food. And it's not just for food, too, I should know. Like there is there's a lot of agriculture that we grow for 
things like biofuels, right? Mm -hmm. Ethanol that comes from corn. So it's not just food, but agriculture is the thing that is responsible for a great portion of biodiversity loss. Textiles too. Don't we use some, you know, plants? Absolutely. Yeah. That's another one, right? Absolutely. And so when we grow things that doesn't, that leaves less room for nature, less room for ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And so at World Wildlife Fund, we have an entire program dedicated to food and freshwater. Um, so I'm part of that food and freshwater team. Okay. Now, some of the projects that my team focuses on start all the way at the beginning. So we look at things like food loss that is happening at the farm level. Okay. And then we follow that loss and that waste all the way through the supply chain. We work with companies like Kroger and Hilton and Marriott in terms of food service at the end. Mm-hmm. We have programs that focus around schools and education. And then finally, you look at like the consumption level, like what happens at consumption level in terms of waste. And then I think where most people's brains think of of food waste, they think, okay, what happens at the very end when we have to recycle it or compost it? You know, so we work full spectrum from farm all the way to fork. You know, it seemed to me like some of these grocery store change could could uh, start a, a, a second a secondary business of like compost business. I mean, I so, mean, yeah. they've got the perfect source. They what what I think we're starting to realize is that the food waste that's being generated should not even be termed waste. It is full of valuable nutrients. Sure, um, it's full of things that can be repurposed, whether that's for animal feed, anaerobic digestion turning that into natural gas. Absolutely. And so I think more and more there's a realization that what it really represents is it's a feedstock for something else. And it's a commodity. Absolutely. But right now, for the most part in the U S we dump it in a hole in the ground. Right. We we send it to a landfill and it, and then it creates another problem, which is methane emissions from the landfill. So we, we like compound our problems, you know. And, and, and if you and if the landfill operators aren't sophisticated enough, where they've they've implemented, you know, some landfill gas systems, then yeah, we're losing the ability to capture that methane. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to divert. I'm going to you know tangent here a little bit i watched a show on youtube a while back and it was about this couple that said we're gonna we're gonna totally live on waste you know food waste products that are like you know unused or uh disposed of food uh from grocery stores and wherever and they said we're gonna live like this for the next couple months yeah and they, i mean they were dumpster diving basically right you know at, at every grocery store chain that they could find and the amount of good food, I mean, literally really good food that they were able to, you know, seize out of these, these dumps. Now, granted, you know, didn't quite meet all the nutritional values they probably really needed because, you know, they'd find boxes of chocolate or you know, yogurt or pudding or something that, you know, they got some other nutritional things in there too, obviously breads and stuff, but they were able to live literally, you know, uh, you know, cost free for to, to yeah. you know, didn't have to buy food at all, and, and and they survived because of the food waste. That it was good food. I mean, they were and they were actually giving the food away to other people because they had so much of it. Yeah, and I was like, wow, okay, so there really is a you know pretty good sizable problem here that I'm surprised there aren't 
programs in place with some of these bigger food chains that, you know, as soon as the product begin, becomes quote unquote, I guess, past the expiration date, when technically it's probably still good, that they don't have another separate program that's like giving this stuff away to food banks constantly. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are, and there, I'm, assuming there are. There are actually, I'm assuming there are, right? But yeah. like, yeah. why is it more prevalent? Why is it more known? And why is it, you know, helping drive down the food waste situation? Yeah, I think in fairness to the industry, I I don't know of many chains now that don't actually have a good food donation program. Most of them do. That's good. Yeah. And and I think there is a lot more education now on things like date labeling than there ever was. Um, it's it's a pretty small minority group of foods that if you look at the expiration date, that there's actually a food safety concern that if you eat that after what that date is you're mm-hmm. going to get sick. The yeah. majority of foods, you're probably going to be fine, right? There's not going to be a health or a safety concern for the majority of foods. It's just a, it's a quality. It's small. Yeah. It's a quality thing. Yeah. Maybe not, might, a, not a spread. It's a little sour. Not a spread. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But a lot of the grocery chains now, they have those food donation programs. I think where it gets tricky is what you're doing in some cases is you're trying to donate product where you have a very small window of life left in it, mm-hmm. right? And so then the urgency becomes, how do you get that to a donation or to somebody in need uh, in time before it expires? And so what you could be doing in a lot of donation programs is just pushing your waste further down to somebody else. And you know you wanna make sure that what you're able to donate actually can go to people in need and, and be, and be edible yeah or else you're just moving waste somewhere different along the supply chain yeah Yeah, that that that, that makes sense that makes sense and you know we touched you you kind of briefly touched on it earlier but you know the whole pandemic i think woke a lot of people up to the supply chain concerns about food you know i know for my wife and i we had planned uh back in mid to late 2019 to do a real nice garden in mm-hmm. 2020 and we built garden boxes and you know for raised beds and and planned a whole vegetable setup and some flowers and everything and we had already planned all this we were already growing plants and all of a sudden the pandemic hits right and you know it's like holy cow we realized that we don't need the food you know the supply chain we can we got our own food this is kind of cool you know and people i think start really growing their own vegetables and and produce at their own home and they realize hey if i can do this myself i'm not relying on on the uh the food ch- you know the food uh, chain there and i guess it kind of gets me to this question about you know we talked about the food insecurity because people were so dependent on getting to the store. They didn't feel like they could get to the store or the, you know, the food wasn't there because people with COVID weren't even producing it, you know, things like that. It was a problem. Talk about, you know, the difference between food insecurity and food deprivation. Well, I I mean, in, in terms of definitions, you know, food deprivation is like the absence of food. It's it's so actually like, being deprived you're, you're, of it. You're, yeah, we're starving, right? We just don't have the food. We, you know, we're yeah. we're we're hungry, right? We're always constantly hungry, right? Yeah, like like physically not having food to eat. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I I don't work within the food insecurity world. Uh, you know, that's like feeding America and the food banks. But what I do know about that world is that this is really about the economics of how people can afford food or not. 
And so food insecurity often is about what people can afford and what type of access they have to food. You know, people living in food deserts where there isn't a grocery store within a reasonable, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and no, no place to go to, to with public transit, right? Or just purely not having the money to pay for food in a grocery store. That's the essence, like that's the, the foundation of food, being food insecure. Right, right. Um, well, and so to well, solve the problem of food insecurity, it's really more about like, how do you get people making better income so that they can afford food? Um, and so what we do in terms of donation and, uh, you know, trying to find how do you get edible food to people in need? That's more of like this gap solution that you try yeah. to fill. Um, yeah. But it's not really solving the solution of food insecurity. Yeah, but but it does seem to be, like you said, that that outlet where the food that's going to waste could go to the people that are feeling the food insecurity if there was an outlet for that material to get to them so they wouldn't have that insecurity because they can get a good product, good, you know, good food at, you know, for free or a, such a reduced cost that, you know, it makes it affordable and they're not, you know, in that, that insecure state all the time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I view this as like connected networks of food distribution and how mm -hmm. you, you intelligently start to move food through these distribution networks with the intention upfront that we should grow food to feed people. And we should be, and this is where world wildlife funds kind of theory of change or like what we're, the mission is, is let's try to more perfectly match food production, what we farm and what we produce in terms of food with food consumption. When we do that, then we make the best use of all the resources that go into foods production. And I'm talking water, sunshine, labor, uh, yeah, all the, all the resources, soil, yeah. like all those embedded resources that go into production. We want to make the best use of those because that's a that's ultimately a major sacrifice on the planet, right? And we see that every day with the sacrifice of nature and biodiversity. So yeah. when we waste that food at the end of that, then we're squandering all those resources that went into foods production. Right. No, absolutely. I, I, it totally makes. I, 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 I saw some stat actually, because you're always keeping up. Like, if you look at this problem globally, if you took the wasted and lost food globally and you grew that on a farm, it would be almost the size of China. That <laughs> that farm, the resources, the land yeah, represented. Would right. Be, and, and there's, you know, the, these stats, there's no perfect statistics that they can prove that perfectly. Right. But right. you get an idea of like, the magnitude of the how resources. Big. Well, that go right. Into food like production, you know, well, like, yeah, like how bad is the problem of food waste in the U S or, you know, around the world? How bad are we talking? Are we talking about? I mean, cause I don't think people are thinking like this is one area of a resource consumption or a, a, a waste product in society that is, you know, it's kind of flying under the radar. Like a lot of times there, most people are thinking like normal trash or recyclable single use plastics. They're not thinking food. Yeah. I, I think the, the thinking is like, we just change straws and that solves a lot of the problem. Like, 
<laughs> I think there, it, it, and it's, it's right at the top, Sean, like we had talked about. It's, it's a recognition that if you want to help save what, what is happening on this planet, like you have to recognize that the majority of our resources go into food production. Mm-hmm. It's a huge sink. Like it's on par with energy and cars, like everything that you would think about, like climate change, the food and, and the food production system is a major, major place where all of our resources go. Mm. So you start from there. Then you look at in the United States. So there's a great uh, nonprofit called Refed, mm-hmm. and, and they put together something they call the Insights Engine. And if you just go to Refed, R-E-F-E-D, Insights Engine, you'll see all these great statistics they've estimated. So it's around 80 million tons of food surplus or waste in the United States, 80 million tons. Now you put that in perspective and it's, I mean, it's, it's in terms of a farm, the size for the United States, it's like three quarters, the size of California in terms of the resource and the land use needed just to grow the food that we waste. And then I think another sad part about the U.S. is they estimate that around 27 million tons goes into a landfill. And so what we do then is we use all these resources to grow food. Then we bury it under the ground and we, and we landfill it. And then that creates methane through anaerobic digestion, which again adds to greenhouse gas emissions. And so we just continue to compound this problem. If you're listening to this podcast, I'll bet you may be thinking, how can I level up and advance my career? If you want to get that promotion, increase your regulatory knowledge, gain professional recognition, and earn more money, then it's time to obtain an industry credential from the Institute of Hazardous Material Management. The IHMM offers eight credentials that are ANSI approved for students, experienced, skilled employees without a degree, and for the degreed professional looking to set themselves apart from the pack. Their credentials focus on three main areas, Certified Hazardous Material Manager, the CHMM, the Certified Dangerous Goods Professional, the CDGP, and the Certified Safety and Health Manager, the CSHM. If you become an IHMM credential professional, then you will be in the top 1% of your profession and your credential will have a global reach. Check out their programs they offer at www.ihmm.org. That's www.ihmm.org. What are you waiting for? Get started today. Well, what are what are some of the biggest culprits, you know, contributing to this food waste problem? I mean, what, what, I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, keeping up with supply and demand, right? And it seems like we're producing more than we're consuming. And then we're also consuming more resources than we need to consume because we're not consuming all the food. And we're, ha- you know, what's the biggest culprits? How, I mean, is, is it, is it just big ag business? Is it, you know, is it, you know, capitalism in a sense because of the, you know, food industry, the, you know, is, I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing out there. I'm just kind of wondering what, where, where do you think the biggest contributors are? Well, I don't think it's, it's, it's not ill intent by any actor in the supply chain. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's a product of, you know, a, a culture now globally that has high expectations in terms of 
what we want to eat every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and with that comes a, a, a real need to be able to meet that demand, to grow your business around it. And therein lies retailing and food service and restaurants. Like those are all going full tilt. I think culturally we have ingrained a, a way of thinking that waste is just an inevitability of the process of consumption. We've just gotten complacent with it. And we see waste as something that it's like a fixed cost in business. We just, it's, it's okay. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so I think we need to disrupt that complacency. There is no reason why a business should tolerate waste of any kind, whether that's waste of electricity or waste of water or waste of food. Like we have to put these things in the same impact categories together. And you've started to see that more and more with electricity usage and energy usage and food waste should be in that same category. Like as a business, whether you're a restaurant, a retailer, your goal should be trying to reduce how much food waste you generate. And oh, by the way, that's going to reduce your uh, waste disposal bill, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you gotta, you gotta think, um, you know, the food waste in an individual home is, you know, if we can address that area of, of the, the, I guess the piece of the pie, so to speak, right. You know, like all us individuals, we start to manage our own food waste. Don't, don't buy as, as much food as, you know, you, sometimes we're overbuying at times, or if we do, let's recycle that that let's compost that uh, food waste and use it instead of sending it to the landfill. I mean, there's a lot of that opportunity out there. And if we all started thinking like that, um, you know, we wouldn't be wasting. I mean, I can remember, you know, as a kid, you know, make sure you eat all the food on your plate, you know? (laughs) And I think nowadays uh, as society, we've gotten so much, so used to fast food society. Yeah. You know, I mean, fast food, You know, it's like, hey, we got to have it something fast, easy. We don't want to sit down and make meals, uh, prepare meals uh, as, as I mean, it's not as often as, as you would think Get back in, you know, say 20, 50, you know, 50 years ago. Right. So uh, there's the, the culture has grown in that direction. Um, and, and I think we've gotten so accustomed to so many luxuries that I mean, even even my generation, like I, I grew up. You know, I was born in the in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. Like it's abundance central. I mean, every yeah. we never had issues. And I I like to just personally, and because I can see the science and the numbers around it, the the first thing you have to do is recognize animal proteins, dairy products, seafood. These are the commodities, these are the food items that carry the biggest environmental impact. And without question, these are the things that we should not squander. We should not waste. We should appreciate to the highest level to the point where culturally it should be taboo to waste these items. You know, if you're chucking a whole salmon filet, um, I mean, there should be a little bit of guilt. Yeah. Man, I can't do that. It's not good. Or or like a whole thing of hamburger. Like, I mean, there's so much embedded resources that go into that production that we just can't have waste in those categories, period, period. I was but there reading, is always going to be inevitable waste. That's, you know, you well, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, there's going to be some portion of, of the material of the waste we buy. Or, I mean, the, 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 the food we buy that will be wasted at some point, you know, it's, I mean, it can't completely, but you know, we could definitely take a lot out of the, out of the waste stream, you know, by composting uh, a ton of that stuff. And, and, but you know, a lot, not everyone's in a position to do that, but at the same time, I think regulations are starting to come out where curbside organic recycling is going to be a normal, you know, facet of taking the trash out. You know, you're going to have your own little compost box and that's going to go out and that's going to reduce your waste. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I think every city, every town in America should have, you know, you, you have your blue, your green and your black bin. Yep. And yep, over time, no. that black bin that's, that's, that's landfill just, it's down to nothing. The rest right, of it the is smallest. Yeah. That'd be the smallest. Yeah. Materials like your plastics and your paper and your metals that get recycled. And then your organic material that goes to either composting and anaerobic digestion. Like the issue there is that I don't see a way of, of you, you have to make the investment. Yeah. Infrastructure has got to be there too. Right. And we're yeah. lagging, we're lagging in like the organic, uh, you know, digestion type, you know, we don't have, totally. a, you know, biodigesters every, every city. Um, and we don't have compost facilities in every facility, you know, every city either. Right. I mean, th- those facilities need to be built, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're way behind. There's, there's other countries you go to and I mean, they're still in the minority, but like globally, this is something that the entire world has to invest in. And I think investing in this waste management where you're trying to compost and get, and, and capture those nutrients, uh, it's got to be a global priority. I think globally, I've, I've read that less than 2% of all the nutrients and organic materials are recovered in the waste stream globally. Mm. That's just bonkers, right? I yeah, mean, right. we've got to change the paradigm and we've got to be able to spend the money to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's why I'm thinking like some of these big, huge grocery chains could really, you know, come, kind of set up a separate business or a separate line of, yeah, in the separate line of business with a compost or, or biodigestion, you know, yeah. let's start pr- producing, you know, RNG. I mean, let's, <laughs> they could have another source of uh, revenue or, uh, fuel for to pro, to fuel all their uh, transport vehicles moving from you know store to store. I mean, you know, there's the way they could circularize that whole concept if they thought about it. Yeah, they and they and they are doing it. Like there was, uh, I think Kroger in California, they actually purchased their own anaerobic digester that they backhaul food waste to. Um, when it went to the grocery chain I was at, we had a program where we partnered with. This was a cool one partnered with the composter that we were sending the food waste to. And then we were turning around and selling the compost back on the shelves. So it's yeah, like full, right. full circle. I mean, yeah. that's, and, and, yeah. and we've got to change the thinking. Like there is no such thing as waste. It's a, right. it's a, it's a man-made construct. Like in nature, nothing is wasted. Everything is circular. We've right. created this idea that there's this it's linear. linear. It's, yeah. yeah, right. We're not linear yeah. anymore. It's, it's got we got to be circular minded. And and now yeah. every, think think of all these decisions with a, a green lens, right? You know, some sort of a circular green lens to to you know the decisions and the business approaches that we take. I mean, I think that's you know so important. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article that you had quoted in uh, that you quoted you were quoted in, and it said. We must freeze the food print of agriculture and we must end food waste. And I was like, what did you mean by freeze the food print of agriculture? Yeah. Freeze the footprint. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Not food. Yeah. yeah. Footprint. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's uh, so let's say tomorrow the, the world decided that we're no longer going to cut down the Amazon rainforest. We're no longer going to convert Northern great plains grasslands into corn or wheat mm-hmm. that we were going to halt the conversion of ecosystems and, and put limits on agriculture. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is we probably still have to expand production. We have to increase our ability to produce more. So that means we have to do that within a constrained footprint. If we're going to maintain healthy ecosystems and nature and biodiversity. And so as soon as you do that, in theory, you have to become more efficient. You have, you cannot tolerate loss and waste at all because then you're just squandering your existing footprint and its ability to produce more. And so that's what I meant by that. Like, unfortunately we don't live in a, on, you know, on a connected world where everybody's going to make that decision tomorrow. That's, that's not going to happen, even though, yeah. you know, <laughs> organizations like WWF want to see something like that happen. Right. So what we have to stress is that by investing in things like food waste and food loss reduction, we're making an investment that can increase potentially our production capacity on a growing and more affluent planet without having to put additional pressures on cutting down more rainforest or converting more grassland. So that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get to with that is, you know, you, can, you know, you can free, freeze, freeze the existing, free, yeah, freeze the existing footprint we have within society, within, you know, the world of, of our existing food production. Mm-hmm. Don't grow it any bigger. De, you know, it doesn't matter if the population expands, which is going to, right? But we still yeah. need to meet the demands of the food uh, demand uh, by the population within the footprint that we have. And, and, and manage that in a more effective tech ways. And I'm assuming technology would have to be brought in to, to bear to help support some of that, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the, it sounds really simple to most Americans, but one of the most effective technologies is just refrigeration. Well, you know? okay. I mean, cold, yeah. cold chain, like the ability to take a fish out of the ocean and keep it frozen or to keep it at low temperatures so that it doesn't spoil. Right. And then to be able to move that along a supply chain and to ensure that it's not lost or wasted the entire time. Mm -hmm. And again, like on, on the oceans and fisheries, this is critical because we are fishing our oceans to complete depletion, basically. And for whatever reason, we still tolerate loss and waste along seafood supply chains. Right. Again, like if if you're if you're dealing with with a finite resource, and you know that it can only regenerate itself so much, and but you continue to pull more out of it, and at the same time accept waste levels that are really high. That's just again that makes no logical sense yeah, for a system that you want to make sure is sustainable over generations. Right. That's just like cutting your hand off, right? I mean, it's just not Completely. too It's not too smart. <laughs> okay. But it, well, again, requires investment. You got to have investment into those technologies in order to make that 
to make well, that. I mean, okay, so what do you think about regulation? Don't you think regulation needs to come into play to help manage this in some form or fashion? Because I got a feeling that you just let it, the free market run this is not going to work. Well, it's tough. Like, just take the issue of waste management, right? I'm, I'm, my brain is on two sides of this. One side is you can envision a future where business is working with government in a voluntary kind of pre-competitive capacity mm-hmm. to make these investments and to make it happen. Everybody mm-hmm. commits to doing it. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Now, the key there is that you have to have everybody doing it and agreeing to it. And I think you also have to have them pushing the pedal down and making it happen and accelerating it. That second part is the one that's not happening as much. We are not seeing the acceleration and the adoption of the investment and also the transparency around data. And so that's when I flip over to my other part of my brain. It's like, all right, well, if if we're not going to do it fast enough, maybe governments have to step in and say, okay, it's no longer legal to put food waste in the landfill. Right, right. And you're seeing states that are doing that, like uh, New York, for example. New York, yeah. This is like Vermont. Like They've just said, look, businesses and homes, like you can't put food waste in the landfill anymore. It's required that you compost it. And they make that that transition instant, right? Now, there's there's a ton of pain along the way, right? It's not a perfect transition. No. But sometimes I think those regulatory moves that are bold end up accelerating things at the pace we need to see the acceleration happen. Yeah, because then the industries are going to respond quickly to meet the demand of the new regulation because they want to be the first in line to capitalize on those opportunities because they're going to identify the need, right? I mean, that's what's yeah. typically what's going to happen. Um Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration system components. To learn more about the types of containers and pumps E-Tank supplies, check out their website at www.etank.net. So the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project, give E-Tank a call to help solve your problem. It's just that easy. You know, the food waste crisis is pretty big. I mean, how how do you see it uh, contributing to, you know, the climate crisis that we have? Because it's huge, right? I mean... I think it's totally correlating to a big component of it. It's not just fossil fuel. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, just if we change the way we do waste management, we see a direct eventual drop in emissions from landfills today. So I think mm-hmm. landfills rank around third in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions with the methane. Um, So that's an immediate change that we get to see. It's not like some complicated math equation. Like that's direct change that we get to see because we're just creating less emissions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then if we take it further, if we start better matching our production to consumption and in effect start reducing the size of the compost pile. Right. 
then you're in in theory taking the embedded emissions and the resources and you're reducing it up front you're reducing it because you're not even generating as much yeah food waste. consuming yeah right yeah right. now that that require you know some people say well does that mean we start producing less food in some places maybe like in some places maybe we do start producing less food there's less demand for some things but where where i think it's critically important is when you look at other countries that are still developing um, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically sub-saharan africa right this is a place you know, five or six countries, I think South Africa, and then the five countries to the north of South Africa. It's home to the majority of the remaining elephant populations on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dozens and dozens of national parks that are still hosting some of the last remaining really critical biodiversity. If we don't get the food system right in those areas, where you have a doubling of human population and a massive increase in the food demands of that population, nature and biodiversity are going to be one of the first things to be impacted. Right? Sure. Yeah. And so that's why it's critical in places like that. The food system has to be designed with food loss and waste removed and efficiency and better uh, seeds and better, uh, irrigation better fertilization better production techniques like all of the above have to be working correctly in those areas in order to make sure that you're not overextending the footprint of agriculture um, and so again it's really critical in those places yeah well i mean you know in the in the u.s obviously you know we as a country we produce so much food you know product produce that we export to feed you know, a lot of other countries in the world, you know, um, I mean, are we overdoing our own country? You know, are we overgrowing food in our own country. Yeah. I mean, just a question. I don't know, but you know, are, and what are we doing to help other countries, you know, develop their own ways of, you know, growing agriculture. So that it, way we're not exporting. It's a question and a contemplation that, you know, we, we create all the artificial boundaries of like countries, this, and you know what, <laughs> but we, I think hopefully we start to recognize that the planet and the ecosystems and the resources, they don't have these boundaries. And what we need to do is to better manage this as a planet. Mm -hmm. If we're going to have a prosperous future, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the, these are the next couple generations, the next couple decades they're going to set the pace for everything for the next yeah. hundred plus years. And I, and yeah. I think again, it's all about how do you accelerate the, the change that needs to happen and get the urgency felt. Um, because I like to stay optimistic about this stuff. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to always feel like, man, it, things, yeah, you know? right. It's like, it's such a big problem. It's so hard to get your hand around it and you got to have some wins in here, right? You got to stay positive and, and Hey, we're making yeah. a difference. Um, so I think that's huge here. Um, well, I mean, okay. I have seen front, you know, personally, I mean, the, the, we talked about organic recycling for food waste, um, you know, at a residential level, I mean, you know, and, but I mean, obviously commercial level, you know, there's so many benefits. So what's the challenge of getting, the, I mean, we talked, I mean, maybe that we could, did touch about it is this the infrastructure, but I mean, 
how far away do you think we are before we will start seeing that's the norm? I think we're pretty close. I think we're inside. I think in the next five years, you're going to see hopefully some pretty big changes. And, and in the U.S., it's going to manifest itself mainly at like state level decision making. Yeah. Um, I think you have to recognize that in some places, it's just way cheaper to dispose of waste different ways. And so you got to you got to compete with that. Like you have to find ways to make the public and private sector investment. Um, and and it's going to it's going to require some public investment. There's no way around that. Yeah. You know? It's going to yeah. take some taxpayer money and some public investment to do the right thing, in, especially in places where it's so out of balance and it's so cheap just to go dump waste in a hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I think you'll I see that in the next five years or so. You'll see more I, legislation, to your point, like saying, hey, it's just we're not going to put food waste in, in the landfill anymore. Right, right. I hope so. I mean, because it's such a big contributor to the problem. And and then um, – you know, I think that uh, with with states becoming more uh, active and and bringing it uh, to the forefront and, and from a legislative perspective or a rulemaking perspective, that's great. But I also feel like in society today, the environmental awareness among people is as high as I've ever seen it. Yeah, like most people now are, are you know millennials. I think have really brought in a huge awareness in the population and, and younger Gen Z's as well, you know, like, Hey, we, they care about it. You know, not that, you know, Gen Xers don't care and, and baby boomers don't care, but they're much more attuned to it. I think now in society and, and, and there's a higher awareness. I, I, I totally agree. I, I think so. It's just a matter of making sure everybody is aware of where the biggest impacts are to focus. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Again, like I think so much emphasis from from the climate side has been put on energy, things like electric vehicles, like not everybody takes a look at their, you know, Grubhub or their their food orders every single day. And they contemplate, hmm, I wonder what the environmental impact of my food and my diet and my consumption is, you know, it's just. Yeah. And I think I think if there's anything to leave your audience with, it's that to not I'm, not I'm not i'm not being preachy but it's the food that you eat is one of the biggest things that is impacting the environment mm -hmm. and you got to really think about how like what your strategy is me personally i am not a vegetarian um i still eat animal proteins um but it's it's a recognition and almost an appreciation for food in that way that it represents a big it's a big deal yeah, like you're more aware of, you know, the the impact that your, you know, that your consumption is 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 having on the environment. And maybe you eat just a few less uh, protein meals and and more vegetable meals and uh, you know, th that way it's, you know, having a small impact. I mean, I'm not a, a vegetarian either, but you know, I I I eat my daughter is and and I, you know, get a lot of uh benefit from some of the recipes and, and ideas that she's, you know, say, dad, you need to really kind of, you know, eat better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. You're right. I'm getting older. I need to eat better. That's good. And I agree. But, um, well, and, and having a war on waste, like a cultural, cultural war on waste. Again, it's, it's really nice working on an issue that isn't partisan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone should have, you know, a fight in the game on this one, right? Totally. Not instead of being, you know, we, there's not parties here. I mean, it's all totally. one issue. 
Yeah, and you, you get you get talking about things like diets, and people get really, you know, that, yeah. that can be a contentious issue. But I, right. I, I would bet that ninety five percent of the American population would be against waste, maybe more. And like, this is something we can rally around. Yeah, yeah, because that's nobody, a fantastic you don't need idea. to have it. You know, right, right. No, I, I, I totally agree with you there. That's a great point. Let's have a war on waste. Right. Yeah. You know, let's let's start the war on waste, and and then everyone will jump on and you know get a, a stake in the fight here. I mean, that's it's good. Hey, listeners, if you're looking for a drilling and an environmental contracting firm to help you delineate the extent of contamination at your site, well, look no further than Cascade Environmental. They are the only field services contractor with the personnel and equipment needed to work with you from project conception to completion. Cascade has over 37 offices across the country and offers a huge range of environmental and geotechnical drilling, site characterization, and remediation services. Thanks to their technical expertise, huge fleet of equipment, and nationwide coverage, Cascade is a great choice to support your environmental and infrastructure project needs. To learn more, check them out at www.cascade-env.com. That's www.cascade-env.com. Well, talk a little bit about the collaboration platform you all launched recently and how, how it's been received. Uh, is this the Pacific Coast Collaborative? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause you, you're kind of involved with some uh, Pacific Coast. Talk a little bit about that. That sounded like it was pretty interesting. It's cool. So what has happened is the states of Washington, Oregon, and California, in addition to British Columbia, so it's 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 almost it's crossing country boundaries. Yeah, right. Um, they made the commitment to reduce food loss and waste in alignment with the Sustainable Development Goals globally. Right. And what's really neat about that is they they said, okay, let's do this across state boundaries. Let's start to implement best practices and actually food waste reduction measurement and 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 innovations. But let's commit to the measurement of the problem first and then try to see a measured reduction over time. Um, I think this is going to become a model that now other states can adopt. They can mm -hmm. take a look at what each state is doing and they can learn from that and they can adopt mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not easy. I mean, it's again, like we just throw this stuff out. Nobody's actively measuring it. Nobody's quantifying it. So that just in itself, measurement is a very, very important part of this understanding yeah. how much you generate and what's what's unique about this again is that the states are actually investing in it usually some of these programs they come with you know it's a feel-good ambition and no money to do it with mm, right but california oregon and washington they're actually investing into it and they're investing into the infrastructure to see that their cities and their towns are doing things like compost and trying to build in that measured reduction to it. So again, very hopeful. Like once three or four of these states start to figure this out, you know, um, Vermont. Yeah, York, there'll be there'll be others starting to the same kind of business model or practice and 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 take on some of those ideas and, and implement them at you know other places. Yeah. That'll be great. So so the idea is to track the amount of food waste that is being you know produced in the various states from the various sources and to collaborate and collect all this information for basically benchmarking is that what we're, we're kind That's of it. you know yeah yep. basically bench and then are you going to use that data at some point to do some you know back calculations of you know 
you know, greenhouse gas impact, resource consumption challenges with, you know, or, you know, loss, you know, that kind of stuff as it relates to the, the amount of food waste generated? I mean, or what, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the target, the goal is to see a 50% reduction. Okay. And then what you want to show is that measured reduction over time. And then you right. can absolutely start to calculate and estimate what the greenhouse gas impacts would be because the Pacific Coast Collaborative the ultimate goal of that is to see a um, a climate smart uh, economy, right. right? To see an overall reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Food waste is one pillar in that entire strategy. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So, so this is a long term play, right? I mean, it doesn't, you know, because food reduction and and watching those metrics go down, it's going to take time, right? Yeah. So you're benchmarking now, and you know, say what. Could, five, six, 10 years from now, you'll start doing updates to, or two years. How, I mean, I don't know what the cycle is that you're going to be evaluating the the data, but yeah, you know, maybe annually, but you know, that'll be part of the process here to track that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a good goal would be in the next five years to have enough pre-competitive acceptance, like between businesses and government that we are going to start tracking this and actively reporting data on waste. There should be nothing competitive about waste data, period. Unless you're the the technology that's trying to collect the data. <laughs> I could just throw that out there. I, I get it. I get it from the business side. Like, yeah, yeah. there's so, reasons why you want to keep data confidential. And, right. But there's also ways to like aggregate and anonymize it too, right? Sure. So you don't have to call out grocery store XYZ and have the right. exact data. No, right. But we need to have that transparency. We need to have a the free flow of information be really, uh, th that's paramount. Right. Without the free flow of information and transparency, then there's you don't have anything. Well, so we talking a little bit about this this collaborative and 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 collecting this data, you know, what where do you see technology helping solve you know these food waste problems or food waste insecurity and stuff like that? I mean, what, what's your thoughts there with technology? Well, I mean, I think there are more and more sophistic. There's more and more sophistication around production uh, and consumption matching. Now, what I mean by that is. You know, you go into a grocery store today and it's just a, it's a sea of food that is from all over the world. Uh, and to some degree, the, the ordering and the forecasting for what product is in the store, mm -hmm. it's not as sophisticated as it probably could be. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think inventory management can be probably a lot better yeah. and that will, that will reduce the amount of waste a store generates. Now, take it one step further. You and I, I guarantee, have food patterns. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I have, we, our family has a pattern of the things that are in our fridge, the things that we buy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, imagine if every American had that pattern where That's you could, you could like share that in, a, in, a, in an anonymized way, but it would like then inform the actual food that we need to have produced. Right? Yeah, that's like AI, man. That's all AI. That's what that is. It's I mean, a, yeah, they, they, little, know, they know you're buying, they know your purchasing patterns, right? They know you buy, you know, a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, a couple, you know, dozen eggs every every two weeks. I mean, before you know it, they're like, hey, uh, Pete, is this what you want to order this week? You know, you're like, yeah, sure, boom. And it's going to get dropped off at your doorstep. 
but it's AI and it's all this, like you said, this um, inventory management. Yeah, because you're right. Like, okay, so for instance, <clears throat> in and in some of the line of work I've done in the past, where you know, in the automotive business, like the the automotive makers, they've got their assembly lines running, right? Mm-hmm. And they're producing these these cars, right? Well, all of a sudden, if you go over to the, across the street to the factory where they're producing all the headliners and the seats and stuff, they got a running counter over there telling them how many pre, how many trucks and you know cars are being built over here that they need to keep up with their production, and they're controlling that whole supply chain and production through that whole that whole inventory management. I mean, Absolutely. why couldn't why couldn't this be done in in you know food, right? I mean, like, hey, not we only just why couldn't. Yeah, not only why couldn't it, but maybe we can't even afford to have it be part of it in food looking forward. That's, I think, the biggest question. Right, like we cannot afford not to have it as part of the equation, right? right? Yeah. Totally. And, and there's there's a, trust me, like I've read too many science fiction novels. Like there's a creepy like Orwellian part of this, like, oh my God. Yeah, like, we're going to control your food. <laughs> yeah, like it's all going to be controlled by AI and a robot and it just gets like helicoptered to your house and dropped off. And I get it. Like that part creeps me out and freaks me out. But again, like we've got to be more organized as a species. Like, yeah, that's the problem. I think that is the, the, the cultural and, and the societal problem we have is our population is growing at a good clip. We're going to end up consuming so many resources that, you know, eventually either we don't have enough or we, or we burn up the ones we have and we waste them to the point where we're, like you said, we're cutting our hand off when we didn't, don't need to. And we, you know, making problems for ourselves. And this is what I think really at the crux of the matter, that's where we are today. Yeah, completely. I mean, and it's <laughs> uh, one of my mentors at WWF has always said it's, and it's not just about population increase. It's also the fact that you could have 5 billion people in the middle class by 2030 you know in the next in the next couple in the next 10 years yeah. yeah decade that middle class guess what happens is consumption rates go up on all things yeah. and especially oh, yeah. on food like everybody wants a cheeseburger everybody you know and so that again we're going to be we're we're coming to the point where there are limits yeah in terms of the planet's ability to regenerate resources yeah, and you know, it's, it's, I, you're gonna have to manage it. That's it comes down I, to that. And I think this this idea of food insecurity is going to be a bigger challenge. I hadn't even thought about it in that way, but as we grow, ten years from now, don't you think the food insecurity because of these resources are going to be the limiting of the resource going to be a bigger issue? I mean, it's like, oh, well, I can't get to the food. I don't know. I don't have enough food for me. I mean, uh, if we don't tackle these issues now, I think that it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to be prepared. We have to have smart systems that can redistribute food, that can bank food, that can, that can, you know, do a better job of uh, being prepared for disruptions. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there has to be an appreciation for the things that cost us the most. Um, Right. That have the most environmental footprint. I think, you know, again, and those are animal proteins, dairy products, things like that. So from the food perspective, you know, we, we know it's a big problem and it's a big resource suck on our, you know, society and, and our, you know, agricultural and, and our na- nature. 
um, we, we, we need uh, much better infrastructure to address the problem. Obviously, education, we haven't really touched on education. Where do you see that being a, you know, a, a, a big, I guess, uh, you know, supporter or, you know, a tool to help bring more awareness? Because yeah. are we really doing enough in that area of just educating society that this is a big problem? I, I'm kind of feeling like we're not. Well, I mean, one of the areas that I'm hopeful in is we've developed an entire curriculum for schools. Oh, okay. School cafeterias. And so one of the, I mean, one of the taglines that we've borrowed from people like Melissa Terry and others that have been educators in school cafeterias is let's turn the cafeteria into a classroom. And let's put some environmental like education into the cafeteria to talk about things like healthy and sustainable diets, the reduction of food loss and waste, you know, so that when you're going K through 12, that that is that that new awareness is part of your day every day. Yeah. Because, no, you like know, for, for older adults, like, you know how this gets, like we, we get set in our ways and things don't <clears throat> sink in as much. But if we start creating a new culture of this in the youth movement and, and, and embed this way of thinking about food into our education system before you know it, you know, the kids grow up and they're out of school and they're going to college and, and that happens faster than we think. I think we could start to see really big changes if we put it into education right now and we need to right now. And so that's, that's another big area. Well, and, and, you know, fortunately, you know, in a large part of most of the kids in, in schools today, I mean, the school is where they're getting their most nutritious meal. It's yeah. not usually the home as much as you would think, right? So totally. we, we definitely need to do a good job there for sure. That's, that's a good point. Um, yeah. We call it our, it, it's, it's called our Food Waste Warrior Program. Okay. It's on our website at WWF Food Waste Warrior and uh, a whole suite of curriculum and materials for K through 12 education. I love it. That, that's awesome. Well, where do you see the food crisis in the next five to 10 years, Pete? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think we start to get a better handle on things like waste. I think you're going to start to see investments at state and maybe even fed on waste management, measurement, reduction, state programs like the Pacific Coast Collaborative you know, getting steam and accelerating across other states, even other mm-hmm. parts of the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's going to be the optimistic side of me says, without question, there's going to be a much greater appreciation for how food systems can be not only uh, a, a big problem in terms of climate change, but they're going to be regenerative. Like we're going to be starting to see how food systems can be regenerative well, for the circular. environment. Yeah, let's and get circular. that circular approach. Yeah. It's going to require maybe some some diet modifications, you know, not having everything we want all the time maybe. It's going to require that we're circular in our thinking, but so much of how the positive stuff is going to change is going to be based around food systems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, this is good. Well, Pete, you know, hey, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. You know, we've covered a lot of great ground here on the food waste uh, crisis or the problem in 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 our you know society, and and I did I identified some solutions. 
Uh, and, and I know we're hopeful that uh, we, we uh, achieve some good impacts here. And, and I'm glad you work on that uh, Pacific Coast Collaborative. That's a pretty cool project. Uh, looking yeah. forward to hearing some positive results out of that in the future. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Sean. All right. Appreciate it. I want to thank our guest, Pete Pearson, for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about the World Wildlife Foundation and Pete's work, check out their website at www.worldwildlife.org. We'll also put a link to his contact information on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks, or from my website at www.seankgrady.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We need to grow the audience. I'd love to hear feedback from the ET Nation, so please also consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or from my website. So, well, for now, thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. Mm -hmm.